So we're studying the book of Nehemiah. At the beginning of that book, the walls had been in ruins for years. 152 years, to be exact. And for the people who were living there in Jerusalem, there was actually never any thought of repairing them, because where would they start? How would they begin? And then Nehemiah comes riding into town, and he rallies the people around a vision, and they engage. They decide to rebuild the walls, and when they got started, they went like gangbusters. As a matter of fact, the work progressed so quickly that it even caught their enemies off guard, but not for long. They rallied. Those bitter, small-minded resistors pulled it together and began to push back, push against the work that God was calling Nehemiah and the wall builders to engage in. Now, the enemy's threats came fast and furious, and the people were staggered. But ultimately, they gathered themselves and kept working despite the opposition. They overcame. But the outside threat wasn't the only problem. As we saw last week, the people were making great sacrifices, neglecting their own work to provide for their own families to build the wall. And many of them were on the verge of losing everything. They mortgaged their property, they maxed their credit cards, And because they couldn't repay the debts they were piling up as they built the wall, their children were actually being taken into slavery by their wealthy wall-building friends. It was a mess, a complete mess. But again, under Nehemiah's leadership, they overcame, and the wall-building rocked on. And as it did, their enemies regrouped, they revised their strategies, and devised another plan to stop the building, to stop progress. Now this time, they would go after their leader. Before they had been going after the people. This time they would go after their leader, putting Nehemiah in the crosshairs, because they understood that Nehemiah was the linchpin to the entire operation. Now, what everyone knew about Nehemiah is that he was a selfless man who had a tremendous, almost otherworldly drive and focus. He was able to get dialed in. But they also knew that he was just a man. And if they could get him, if the enemies could get him, the whole enterprise would fall apart. So they trained their sights on Nehemiah. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles, if you have them, to Nehemiah chapter 6. Or you can look up the scripture on the phone, on your phone. Nehemiah chapter 6. And this is where we find the people, the building project, at a crucial moment. It, It is actually the tipping point in the work. Now, understand where they are right now. The workers are absolutely exhausted, but they are so close They've overcome some hurdles, they've dealt with some opposition, and now they're on the verge of wrapping things up. And what's going to happen is Jerusalem is going to step into its role as a city on the hill, a shining light in the dark world, beckoning people to worship the one true God. They could taste it. 
They were literally on the verge of accomplishing what they started out to accomplish. And their enemies knew that it was absolutely now or never. Look at Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to this time, up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Oh No. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm, I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed, an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations and Geshem says it's true, so it must be, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. Yeah, I realized that God had sent him, not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they've done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets had been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Father, I pray that as we examine this scripture that you would shine your light into our hearts. Give us 
the courage to be honest about where we are, and Lord, the wisdom to follow your will and Nehemiah's example. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, when we do something that's aimed at bringing glory to God, like making a home, raising godly children, building a career, starting a business, preparing for an exam, or in this case, rebuilding a wall. When we do something where our ambition is to bring glory to God, then opposition is to be expected. You can count on it. God doesn't prevent opposition because he understands that it makes us dependent upon him and gives us the resilience we need to face tomorrow's struggles. Now, the opposition that is guaranteed comes in different shapes and sizes. Okay, it can be covert and overt, passive and aggressive. It can be subtle and obvious, but it will never be real and imagined because it is always real. It is always very, very real. Why? Because there's too much at stake for our enemy to sit idly by while we accomplish something that is going to glorify our Heavenly Father. He's not going to let it happen, or he's going to try to put a stop to it. That's the truth. Now, while that opposition that we encounter presents itself in many different ways, it always has one objective. One, stop the work. Stop the work. Now, we know, if you flash back to what we learned about this project, what Nehemiah was called to do, the mission was to regrace the people. The work was to build the wall. The work was necessary to accomplish the mission. So the enemy decides, I've got to stop the work. And so how does he do it? The enemy will always manufacture distraction or discouragement. That's the way he works. He manufactures distraction or discouragement because either one of those diverts our attention from what is most important, and either one of those, if we let them get a hold of us, will stop us in our tracks. Let, let's, let's talk about those. Let's talk about distraction first. What does distraction do? It creates worry and anxiety. Distraction creates worry and anxiety. Our enemy wants us to lose focus on what we are called to do by distracting us with some other urgent but secondary issue. Now, we might think it isn't secondary. We, we don't recognize that it's secondary, but it is because it's not the call. It's not the work that God has called us to. So the, so the enemy wants to distract us with some other issue. And listen, when we are distracted, we take our eyes off the goal and we look around. Okay? When we're distracted, we take our eyes off the goal and we begin to look around. Distraction makes us ultimately want to control things that are not ours to control makes us want to play God 
instead of trusting God. So we try to control things that are not ours to control. That's distraction. We take our eyes off the goal and look around. Now, discouragement is effective because if we lose courage, that's what discouragement means, right? It perverts our courage. It sabotages courage. So it is effective because if we lose our courage, we lose our will to sacrifice and serve. Okay, now, when we are discouraged, we take our eyes off the goal and look within. Remember, distraction causes us to look without, and discouragement causes us to look within. We start trying to protect ourselves, and we begin the always impossible task of managing our image, of being sure that people are thinking the right things about us. We are curved in on ourselves, thinking only about ourselves when we are discouraged. Now, when a purpose-driven individual or a cause-minded community is dialed in on the task that leads to the mission, the best hope for the opposition is to change the focus. Change the focus. Why? Just listen to this. When someone is distracted... They lose their vision and the reason for sacrifice. With the loss of vision, we have a loss of heart. Now, loss of heart leads to a loss of courage. And when we lose courage, we lose our will to work. When we lose courage, we lose our will to work. Now, that is exactly what the opposition was trying to do to Nehemiah. They brought distraction, hoping for discouragement. So what did they do? They tried three different things, but they tried to get Nehemiah off the wall. That would be, it would be clear that he had lost his focus if he came down off the wall. So they tried to get him off the wall by baiting him into chasing rabbits. Okay, four times, four times they sent the same message. Why don't you come down here and meet with us away from Jerusalem, away from the wall? And what happened? Each time Nehemiah said this in verse 3, I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave and go down to you? I am not serving you. I am serving the one true God. Now, from our vantage point, what they were trying to do looks stupid. Right? Like, why in the world would Nehemiah go down to meet with those three stooges? Well, listen, it is a great time... It is the appropriate time in, within the time frame of the project to negotiate a peace. Okay, the wall was practically done. And so they had to figure out a way to coexist. So Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem thought that Nehemiah would jump at the chance to come and negotiate a peace because soon the wall would be finished and they would all have to peacefully coexist. But their intention was not to negotiate peace. Their intention was to eliminate Nehemiah. They were going to kill him. 
and he knew it. Four times they tried to distract him, and four times Nehemiah informed them that he was keeping his eyes on the prize. He was going to stay focused. But they weren't going to give up. If they couldn't distract him, they could discourage the people by planting seeds of doubt about Nehemiah. Okay, you see, it's all, they're, they're aimed at Nehemiah, but if the people doubted him and his motivations, then they could win the battle. Now, Scripture says that Sanballat sent an unsealed letter that questioned Nehemiah's motivations. Now, in, in those days, letters were written on scrolls, essentially. They were rolled up, and they were sealed with wax so as to keep the correspondence private. Okay, and everybody knew when they got a letter that was sealed, it was just the, the sender and the receiver knew what was in it. No one else could. An unsealed letter was essentially like a Facebook post, okay, for the world to see. We just put it out there and everybody knows what I'm thinking, how I'm feeling, what's going on. Everyone would know the contents of an unsealed letter from two people that were as important as Sanballat and Nehemiah. In this case, if those accusations contained in that letter gained any traction, it would, be, it would have devastating consequences for the great project that God had called Nehemiah to lead. Now, what were the contents of the letter? Look back at verses 6 and 7. This is what he writes, for the world to read, very intentionally. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Here's the reason you're building the wall, because you're planning to revolt. Moreover, in addition to, we, have, we know more about you. According to these reports, you are about to become their king. And, even, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, Nehemiah, this report will get back to the king. So, come on. Let's meet together. And here's, here's something you can bank on from the opposition. They're trying to distract and discourage. The opposition is going to use lies that are plausible. That other people could believe. What's the point of lying if no one could believe it? So this letter makes two untrue but plausible charges. First, it asserts that the project was motivated by rebellion. Okay, the people were rebuilding the wall, he said, so they could lock themselves safely in the city and rebel against the king. They wanted to create their own kingdom. Second, the second charge is against Nehemiah. Okay, it asserted that he was in it for himself and everybody knew it. Remember, Geshem says it's true. All the peoples are talking about this. He, 
What they're saying is Nehemiah isn't serving their best interest, but his. He wanted to be the king. Now, if that was true, then the people would have to face the fact that they were not sacrificing for God and his glory, but they were sacrificing for Nehemiah and his ego. And this, this really wasn't hard to see. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, it explained everything. Nehemiah was a man of mystery, and he didn't like talk about everything, but they knew he served the king. Okay, they knew he was in, in the inner circle of the most powerful man in the world. He was the cupbearer to the king. And so they knew he was at that almost the highest seat of power in the known world. So why would that guy leave that position and come to Jerusalem and build a wall and get nothing out of it? Oh, I know, because he wants to be king. That could, that's the only explanation that makes any sense unless you believe he was called by God. And the enemies wouldn't believe that because they didn't believe in God. So why was he there? It could only be because he wanted to be the king. Now, you think about it, these are some serious accusations. If true, then the people would certainly revolt against Nehemiah because they didn't want Artaxerxes to send his armies down to Jerusalem and squash them. They knew if he turned on them that it was a fight they could not win. So would they believe it? Well, I think there's a little gamesmanship going on here by Sandalit. I think he was, uh, he was trying to pull one over on them. I'm convinced that he didn't think the Jews would buy this idea about Nehemiah, that he was in it for himself. But remember, he wasn't coming after the Jews, he was coming after Nehemiah. And if that accusation caused Nehemiah to lose his composure and get defensive, then it was mission accomplished whether the people believed it or not. So that's why he threw that bit in about Geshem saying it was true. The idea was, remember, everybody's saying this, Nehemiah. Everybody's talking about you. Everybody thinks you're in this for yourself. One of the best ways that the enemy has to get us to stop is to make us think that everybody questions us, that everybody is talking bad about us, that everybody has an opinion about us. And what, what happens when we think people are thinking negatively about us is that we get emotional. We get defensive. We get paranoid, and we lose our focus. Now, I'm sure that Nehemiah trusted that the Jews who were working with him would consider the source. This was an enemy. This, this charge was coming from one of their enemies. But that really wasn't the problem. What if Artaxerxes believed the lie? Remember when he said at the end of verse 9, Seven, 
if this gets back to the king, so what if Artaxerxes heard this and believed it? Then everything would be lost. Everything. So Nehemiah had to, because he was a human, remember? Nehemiah felt compelled to get ahead of this, to put a stop to it. So he would have been compelled to go meet with Sanballat to be sure that word about this didn't get out, except that he knew it was a distraction. He resisted the urge to overreact emotionally and he put it in the hands of God and asked God to give them the strength to carry on and the project stayed on schedule. He's overcome two powerful attempts to stop the work. But his enemies were not finished. They had one more trick up their sleeve. If they couldn't distract Nehemiah with their words, then they would try to discourage him with sticks and stones. Now for this threat, they secured the services of a man that apparently Nehemiah was pretty close to. There was an old man named Shemaiah in Jerusalem who was a shut-in, and it appears that Nehemiah visited him regularly. And for whatever reason, Shemaiah sold out to Sanballat. Now the next time Nehemiah went to see him, Shemaiah told him there was a plot against his life. He tried to convince Nehemiah that his only hope was to go to the temple, lock himself in the Holy of Holies there so that he would be safe. This is his only hope because they were coming at night and no one would know and he was sure to be dead. But Nehemiah knew that wasn't from God. How did he know? Because the Holy of Holies was forbidden. Okay, God made it clear in his word that only the appointed priest could ever enter his presence there in the Holy of Holies. For Nehemiah to enter that sacred space and hold on to the altar would have been rebelling against the law of God. If he had sinned in that way, then he would have sent the message that the laws of God didn't apply to him and his integrity would have been compromised and it would have given credibility to the rumor that he was only serving his ambitions. And with his credibility compromised, the people would have lost heart and the project would have come to a screeching halt. But Nehemiah didn't compromise. He didn't break the law of God to save his own hide. Nehemiah saw through all of it. Why? Because he expected opposition. He expected opposition. The, the world we live in tells us that if we're good enough and we're faithful enough, that... that God will eliminate all troubles. If we live the blessed life, then we won't encounter opposition. Wrong. Nehemiah does not agree, and neither should you. 
expect opposition. And when we expect opposition as Nehemiah did, then we can know that those temptations to be distracted, to cut corners, are not coming from God. Nehemiah was able, because he knew opposition was coming, he was able to look at this last Hail Mary from Sanballat and see his fingerprints all over it. And so what did he do? He got back to work. The opposition's aim was to change Nehemiah's focus through distraction and discouragement. And why is that? I've already told you. When someone is distracted, they lose their vision and their reason for sacrifice. A loss of vision leads to a loss of heart. A loss of heart leads to a loss of courage. And when we lose courage, we lose our will to work. Now, Nehemiah was aware of that play. He understood what they were doing, and he knew what was at stake. So what did he do? Look at verse 9. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. He thought about what the enemy was trying to do to him. Know your enemy. The Hebrew there can literally be translated, their hands would lose heart for the work. The opposition knew that to do the work of wall building, the people's hands had to have the heart for it. And without Nehemiah leading the way, they would quit. As long as Nehemiah was focused and on task, the people rallied behind his leadership. But the enemies knew, and Nehemiah knew, that if he ever wavered, if he faltered at all, discouragement would overtake them and the work would stop. So Nehemiah withstood those personal attacks. And the wall was completed in 52 days. 52 days. Now what's the lesson? A few things. First, we have to understand and believe that God projects are great projects. God projects are great projects. The projects God has for you are great projects. Look at Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we, that is all of us, are God's handiwork. We are created, fashioned in Christ Jesus to do good works, great projects, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now listen, we may not all be wall builders, but we are all called to be kingdom builders. And we are all designed by God on purpose for that purpose. He has good works, great projects prepared in advance for us to do. You are created for your God-given, God-ordained assignment. 
You must do it for the glory of God. You shouldn't aspire to do someone else's assignment. You shouldn't think that the grass is greener. If I only had their gifts or their talents, I could have a great project too. Absolutely not. That's a lie from the enemy. The truth is we are created by God in Jesus Christ for good works. From heaven, God ordained us to do. You have a project. You have a project. And it is a great project. It's a God project. But are you doing it? Do you recognize that your life gives you an opportunity of a lifetime? You are entrusted by Almighty God with a critical, with a great work. It is unique to you. God prepared you for it. He gifted you, called you to the great project. So many of us are just sitting it out. God projects are great projects. You might not like where you are. You might not like what's going on in in your circumstances. But the scripture says all the days ordained for you were written in his book before one of them came to be. You are right where you need to be. You're exactly who God needs you to be. There's a great project that God wants you engaged in. You are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. Embrace the opportunity. Number two, great projects attract great opposition. The enemy wants to stop you. He will work to distract you. He will work to get you to look around. He will work to discourage you so you look within. Either way, the objective is to take your eyes off the great project and get you to come down off the wall. Now, If you're not engaged in the great project, whatever it is, whatever your call is, then you can only conclude that the enemy, the opposition, currently has the upper hand.
what else can you conclude? Here's the third truth. You need to stay focused or get refocused. Don't take your eyes off the prize. In the things Nehemiah could not control, he left them to God and asked him for the strength to carry on, for the intestinal fortitude to keep going. We should pray as Nehemiah prayed in verse 9. But I prayed, strengthen my hands. God, help me. Strengthen my hands. Give me heart for the work. The prayer was that God would give him the heart to stay solely focused on the great work of building the wall. It was an acknowledgement that he couldn't do it without God. And guess what? We can't do what God has prepared for us without God's help. So we pray. We ask God to strengthen our hands for the work and keep our eyes on the prize. Fourth, trust that if you stay the course, the victory is yours. Did did you notice this is so fantastic? What happens at the end to the enemies, to the opposition? Look at Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 16. When all our enemies heard about this, what? That the walls were finished in 52 days. When they all heard about this, all of them, all the opposition, all the surrounding nations were afraid. They were discouraged. They lost their confidence. They were distracted because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. What happened to them is that God turned the darkness on the enemies. They got what they were trying to create in Nehemiah and the wall builders. Because Nehemiah trusted God and stayed focused. God showed up. The work was done and it was the enemies who lost heart and the victory was won. What if they had quit? They would have never seen that victory. They wouldn't be able to realize the joy of finishing the work they were called to do. Now listen, the last thing you need to recognize is our victory comes from our faith in the one who has already defeated our enemies. What happened when when those enemies looked, they said, look what God did. They knew that the wall was completed with the help of God. When we're living in our God-ordained purpose, It is only faith in Jesus Christ. It is only staying plugged into Jesus Christ that will ensure the victory. Faith inextricably connects us with the victorious one. And then he enables us to finish the great projects he created us for. But it begins with faith in Jesus. The question is, do you have faith in Christ? It's where it all starts. 
If you remember Ephesians 2.10, we are created in Christ Jesus. God's handiwork in Christ Jesus. So if you are not in Christ Jesus, then you can't get started on this wonderful journey of a lifetime where you discover your purpose and cooperate with God's vision to change the world. It begins with faith in Jesus Christ. And then we cling to Him, holding on, trusting Him as the arrows from our enemy flies. Two questions. We're going to pray and wrap up. Have you placed your faith in the one who is victorious? We're fighting a battle, but he's already won it. Have you entrusted him with your life? Are you a believer? That's where the transformation begins. That's where the victory is won. And if you're a believer, are you fighting the battle? Are you engaged in the great project? Listen, if God didn't have something for us to do, he could just save us and take us home. But he doesn't. He leaves us here. Because there's work to be done. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the reminder that we are privileged to be connected with our Creator through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who does not yet have faith in Jesus, that today would be the day where they trust the one who died for them, the one who built the bridge for us to get from where we are to the eternal life and the abundant life that you created us for. And Father, for those of us who believe, if we're just sitting this one out, I pray that by your spirit you would disturb us. You would stir up in us a will to work. Protect us from distraction and discouragement. Renew our passion for the vision that you have for our lives and for your kingdom to come on earth just as it is in heaven. 